0: They tried to stop my shine, but I said, hold up. Y'all know how many hoes done tried to hold this hoe up? Talk to music. Look up in the sky, it's a bird, it's a plane. Nah, it's just Craig, ain't a damn thing changed whole career, reaching for new heights. some don't like it, shit, that's alright, cause I will always be me, I'll say it quite politely, if you don't like what you see, kiss this ass for free, say be yourself, be yourself, say love yourself, love yourself, what's up y'all? That's just the vibe I'm on today. I don't know why. I'm just pumped up. I just have things to say to whoever may need to hear it today. This morning is 4.35 a.m. where I'm at. Because just you, you need to know, can't nobody do whatever you have in your mind, whatever dream you have, can't nobody do it but you. Can't nobody do it like you. So whatever it is you're dreaming of doing, step out on faith and do it. It may feel awkward at first. Your results may be awkward at first. Do that shit anyway. Your friends, your followers may not like it. Do it anyway. You can get new friends. You can get new followers. But if you have a dream in you, you might not get another dream. So do it. And I mean, folks may talk about you. They may talk shit about you. Other folks may hit you with the I get this sometimes may hit you with the silent treatment and kind of ghost your new shit. Just act like it don't exist and shit. Do it anyway. That's my vibe for the rest of 2019. I hope y'all join me on it. Do it anyway. Somebody gonna do it. It might as well be you. So excuse me for just having to get that off my chest this morning, but I some things you just have to say, you just feel in your spirit. You have just have to say it. You just have to say it. So that said, welcome to Craig's Pop Life, a black gay excursion into pop culture. I'm your host, Craig Seymour. You know me. I've been writing about pop culture for more than 20 years now. You can read some of my music writing at rnbeing.com. I'm also an author who has written a number of books. I got the biography, Luther, The Life and Longing of Luther Vandross. I um, had a wonderful talk on the podcast the first time I heard about the book very recently. I will put a link to that on the Craig's Pop Life website. I also have my memoir about being a grad school stripper hoe. All I could bear, my life in the strip clubs of gay Washington, D.C., my hometown. So glad it survived. So forth. Um, and them tanks and that nonsensical shit. Um, Then I've got my novel about three generations of black gay men looking for love. And that's called Who's Your Daddy? And in fact, as a special offering, if you need some weekend listening or something, you just, you know, you just want to listen to something. For some reason, you have the reason to hear more of my voice um, that may exist in a rare number of people, you can hear the entire Who's Your Daddy audiobook for a limited time on the good YouTube. And I will link to that also on the Craig's Pop Life website. And in addition to those books, I am finishing up special The Life and Art of Janet Jackson, and that is coming very, very soon. So all that stuff is in the works. And as I've mentioned already a number of times, I have a website, craigspoplife.com, and that's where I put links for the songs and the other stuff that I discuss on the show, and I also have an Amazon shop where I put all the books that I discuss on the podcast and other important stuff, um, like my favorite hot sauces and whatnot, and that's also easy to remember. It's amazon.com slash shop slash craigspoplife. God, I'm already out of, not out of breath, my throat's already dry, I need to drink some of this good Diet Coke, hold on for a second. Mm, Got me a good sip. Anyway, welcome to another week of what's going on in the world, happy 5th of July, because as Frederick Douglass said in 1852, before the Ladies Anti-Slavery Society in Rochester, New York, what? To the American slave is your 4th of July, a day that reveals to him, which I'm going to change to them to be more inclusive, all right? A day that reveals to them more than all the other days of the year that gross injustice and cruelty to which he, again, I'm going to update today, to which they are the constant victim. So my man Frederick was so tight over this July 4th thing that he would not even give the speech on the 4th of July and delivered it instead on the 5th. And it wasn't a CP time type of thing. This was based on the July 5th march that formerly enslaved people in New York through after the abolition of slavery in that state in 1827. And folks, um, they wanted, they didn't want, I mean... Technically, the emancipation, it started on the, um, it started on the 4th. But folks didn't want to actually march on the 4th because of fear that too many violent white people would show up and start some mess. So, and this is, I mean, this is just a sidebar. And, you know, Craig's Pop Life is all, if it's about anything, it's about my sidebars, okay? Why is it that when the concept of a race riot is invoked, Today in popular consciousness, people be talking about stuff that followed the assassination of Martin Luther King, or they bring up like um, what happened in L.A. after the acquittal of the police officers and the Rodney King beating. But why don't we talk about the Chicago race riot of 1919, which was about white people attacking black people over the perception that black people were taking jobs? Or why don't we talk about the 1921 Tulsa race riot in Greenwood, which was considered the black Wall Street at the time because it was the wealthiest African American community in the country? Why don't we talk about that? Why don't we talk about what went down in Rosewood, Florida in 1923? Why don't we talk about all the mass lynchings just in general that people were picnicking on and all sorts of nonsense that occurred during Jim Crow. Why is that the image that doesn't seem to, you know, come to mind on the news and just when people be talking? Like, why are those things out of the dialogue, but all people can focus on are um, uprisings by black people in our own neighborhood? And in these cases, we're talking about white people like tearing down shit for no reason just because they're so scared of black agency and black autonomy. So, anyway, but that's a whole nother topic for another day. S- still, you know, back to this July 4th celebration in New York, it did go out, go off without a hitch, um, largely, as 4,000 people, proud and newly emancipated black people, marched down Broadway. So, that is why. July 5th is the date that I'm fucking with, and I think there's a good chance that Trump won't try to hijack that, so it's, it's a safe holiday. To me, the 5th of July is the official African American day of, don't start none, won't be none. So that, I'm glad to be speaking with y'all on this very important day. Um, So this week, I have some follow-up thoughts on the last show. Um, nothing about that Whitney Houston "Higher Love mess, though, specifically. Um, hopefully that is the first and last time I'll ever have to listen to or discuss that travesty. But some folks had the perception that I was dissing Whitney's earlier work. And, I mean, you know, I mean, I would be lying if I didn't say that much of that stuff, to me, was too pop or inauthentic. And I'm talking about somebody like I was, you know... In my late teens and their 20 listen to it so it's like that's how it felt to me I know a lot of people that really revere that stuff I think were maybe a little younger at the time and you know you get a whole different perception when you're looking when you're younger and you're looking at this Cinderella figure and everything like that and you're really like oh my god she's so beautiful she's so magnificent she's such a dream and stuff like that you get one thing if you're kind of a, a younger age maybe in your earlier teens or something like that but when need like, in your late teens or 20, you're looking at this like, what is she trying to pull? Like, what is she trying to do? And, you know, the whole thing, like, stuff just rang false to me. Um, Like, what does a 22-year-old, probably 20 or 21 when she recorded it, know about I believe the children are the future? You ain't nothing but a child yourself. Who do you think you're fooling? So it's stuff like that that, you know, that's, I, I just can't lie. Those were the authentic things that I felt at the time and so of course they linger with me that's not taking anything away from her talent and it's also not taking anything away from me acknowledging why people connect so much to those songs and to that image I'm just talking about me and who I was at that time and who I still am um And, you know, talking about The Greatest Love of All, I think she quickly learned that love can be real complicated, you know, Um, in a way that she did not know when she recorded that song. She probably would have sang it a different way later in life. Um, I quote from KRS-One. You know, man, I be telling you all the time, that word love is a very serious thing. And if you don't watch out, cue the chorus. Love's going to get you. Love's going to get you, love's going to get you, for my um, KRS-One fans. So anyway, all I'm trying to say is that it's a pretty general concept that most artists get better as they mature, as they experience life and begin to know things. And as for me, I didn't really start appreciating Whitney for her interpretive skills. We're not just talking about the angelic vocals. We're not not just talking about the looks in a gown and what have you. I'm talking about the interpretive s- skills until around bodyguard. And then for me, she just kept getting better through the XLs and the My Love Is Your Loves and, and stuff like that. Unfortunately, I feel this artistic growth coincided with so many personal problems that slowed down her recording op- output. So, um, you know, in a somewhat tragic coincidence, it seemed like many of those same problems may have been what was given new depth. To her delivery but you know that said that's too too often an artistic um truth so anyway i just saw i just wanted to say i am not hating on her or anything like that i'm just talking about how i feel about the very earliest work and how this higher love song see now i'm talking y'all got me talking about it again this higher love song was from that era um you know, I may have loved a Whitney Howard Love cover done later in life. Who knows? You know what I mean? But I I just I'm not gonna front. That's how I feel. So um that's the feedback. That's my response to some listener feedback from the last episode. But please let me know if you feel a way, if you think feel I've like taken it too far, good, bad, indifferent. Well, I guess don't don't need to waste your time if you're indifferent. But if you want to to um you know, comment on something I said, you can always hit me up on the good Twitter, at Craig's Pop Life, or you can email me at the good Craig's Pop Life um, at gmail.com. And just for another quick follow-up on the, um I was talking a lot about Janet Jackson remixes last week, and just wanted to let y'all know that I discovered a really cute mixtape of Janet remixes on Dat Piff. For y'all mixtape people, you know exactly what that is, other people might not be familiar with it, but Dat Piff is sort of, like, in the real, in the, um, in the sort of OOs days of, like, people dropping mixtapes, and it wasn't really streaming, like, if Lil Wayne would drop a new mixtape or something like that, that piff was the site, so, um, but this remix, um, this little mixtape has a lot of remixes I've never heard before, a lot of songs, like, With You that I've never even heard remixed, and it also contains a version of call on me that I think is my favorite version of the song, which I never really particularly liked. So I will put a link to that mixtape on the um, website, maybe get you some good weekend listening in. But today, mostly, I'm going to take, I'm going to close your eyes or open your eyes and imagine... (laughs) (laughs) open your eyes. Imagine a screen, curtains parting, and you're at the cinema, because I'm going to talk about movies, okay? I'm going to take y'all to the movies. Um, So this week, I saw and thoroughly enjoyed Spider-Man Far From Home. It gave me everything I want from a a, a Marvel film. You got some genuine pathos. You got some sharp humor, you know, some end jokes and all that kind of stuff. You You also got a lot of science fiction stuff that I didn't understand, but then what is good about most of these Marvel films is that they hit you with all that science, shmience, but you don't really need to know understand what they're talking about to get the plot. So, that's important. Um, I thought Jake Gyllenhaal was good and as charming as one would expect from Jack Twist, Jack Nasty, for all my broke-back people. And, um, Zendaya shines as, as MJ and... I'm still watching Euphoria. How many of y'all are watching Euphoria? I'm still watching it. And it's like, it's so weird because I'm still not sure if I would say I like the show, but I find the show extremely interesting and I'm definitely thoroughly engaged and in for the whole season. But um, I don't know, maybe I just need, maybe it just needs to develop. I think the show is so kind of dark and on the edge that I think I'm hesitant of fully embracing it because I'm like, at any moment it could, Go away that I might not like, so I'm still waiting. But I, it's like I'm taking it's like moving along, like it's like moving along in a relationship with somebody who you know, may have an edge and stuff, and you kind of like it, you kind of attracted to it, but you like, at the same time, if I find out to this motherfucker, if he's doing all that, if he's doing this, then I can't be down with it. So it's like, I'm down, I'm dating, we casually seeing each other, I'm really enjoying what's the moments, what's going down, and everything like that. I have hope for the future, but at the same time, one wrong move, and I'm kicking this motherfucker to the curb. So that's kind of my feelings on euphoria. I'd be curious of um, how other people think. And then of course, there's the star of the which a star of the thing who is my Marvel Universe boyfriend, Tom Holland. And I mean to be honest, I've enjoyed most of the recent movies spider man the Toby Maguire's, the Andrew Garfields. But there's something to me that's particularly affecting about Tom Ho- top, Can't even say his name. Get me all nervous. Can't even say his name right. About Tom Holland as Spider-Man. And I think it has to do just really with his youth. And that in reality, he's closer to age to the fictitious high school student, Queens dweller, Peter Parker, um, than some of the others. Because, I mean, Toby was 24 when he first did Spider-Man. And I just found this out with my little um, podcast research. Andrew Garfield was damn near 30 for the first for his spider-man number one so he was damn near middle age for the other one so you know but tom had just turned 20 when he first showed up in captain america civil war and i just think something about his youthful awkwardness and earnestness just feels authentic to me or rather it looks authentic i think because of his age and it feels authentic because i think he's i think he's a really good actor um and he ain't new to this acting game you know, I'm a fan of everything Billy Elliot, starting with the original film. You know, I still follow Jamie Bell's career and thought he did a really nice job as um, lyricist Bernie Taupin in Rocket Man. But I also really love the Billy Elliot musical. Um, and Tom Holland played Billy on the West End. Now, I ain't never seen the Billy Elliot musical in person, but they... It's um, a version is out there. It's on your DVDs, your Blu-rays and your digitals that I I I have it and I like it a lot. I like the music. I like just the way that the emotion of the film is transferred to the stage and everything like that. So I do highly recommend that. You know, my main thing, why I never saw Billy Elliot is because they always have like three, four different Kids playing the same role but on different nights, and I'm like, what if I pay my good money because musicals are expensive these days? So I was like, what if I pay my good money and the Billy is not the Billy I want to see, or something? Or like so I just, you know, I can't be, I can't. Some things I just, it's not worth the risk for me. So, all that is to say, I love Tom in the role. It doesn't hurt that he's got the perfect twink build. As I've said before, I have a thing for twinks. It might be problematic for many reasons, many of which I discuss in my novel, Who's Your Daddy? But still, we own our messy truths here on Craig's Pop Life. So, yes, I have a thing for twinks. And so, okay, so I'm already thinking he's mad cute and that that skin-tight suit is the business. But then I read this good bit of behind-the-scenes info. And I quote from Tom, the first thing you need to know is all I have on under that costume is a thong, thong to thong, thong, thong. I'm sorry, that's my that's me. He can't say that. First thing you need to know is all I have under that costume is a thong. They brought them in on the first day like here are your thongs. I had serious misgivings. You know, he's, he's British, so he had serious misgivings. Would my asshole ever be the same again? Of course, he said arsehole, but, you know, I'm translating. Um, but I had to get used to it, even though I was thinking, no way, no way. So I can think of many things to do with the good old Tom Holland where he would never be the same in a good way, you know. There are things that come, things you can do when you have experience, like I'm of a certain age have experience, um, to, to turn somebody out. But anyway, that's another topic for another day, one that might need some demonstration. But again, we'll put that on the side. Um, but all that's to say, you got to realize, when you see them ass cheeks on the screen in, I'm, in IMAX, as I'm wont to do, that's that's real ass you're looking at, okay? That ain't no special effect. And when you see them legs open up, a- swinging through the air and all that kind of stuff, when you see that ass give a little bounce, bounce, bounce when he lands, or you see a little muscular concavity when he stands to the side, that is ass you're looking at. I mean, the more you know, right? Um, so that's just my what I guess that's my recommendation or whatever. I'm just saying I was a little shook by the news. Maybe somebody else is too. Um, and here's more. Um, this is him talking about what happens when he goes to the bathroom. Okay. But not in a gross way. If for some of y'all who like quickly about to turn off i just wow well, i'm talking about literally when he goes to the physical bathroom not when he is going to the bathroom <laughs> okay so i quote again you have to completely disrobe and then put a dressing gown on but they're very comfy ones you can't walk around in just a thong can you imagine yes i motherfucker, I can imagine and yes you could if i was uh, running the set but again sidebar and he comes back, and then you race across the lot to the toilet, then come back, get back into it. It's such a mission. So now look, the good Ava DuVernay has been saying that black folks need to think about jobs in the movie industry that are beyond just the obvious ones. She says there are plenty of place in the movie industry for people to break in that don't have nothing to do with, like, directing a film or anything like that. You know, shit. Managing Tom Holland's stuff while he's, you know, en route to the restaurant. Shit, that's a job I'd volunteer for. I mean, they wouldn't need to pay me. I just had to drive Uber on the side or deliver groceries, those online groceries or something. But I'd show up every day on the set. Early in the morning, as Charlie Wilson would say, to be the one who helps Tom get out of his thong. Oh, you need help? Oh, let me. Out. Yeah, I'll help you from the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, into out of his song, into his dressing gown, and then back into his song. Oh no, I'll I'll pull it up. Yeah, from the back. Um, you know, I volunteer as tribute for that job. So, but all this is to say that I enjoyed Spider Man Far From Home, and I do recommend it if you like. You know, those Marvel cartoon movies. I mean, you know, not not cartoons, superhero movies. Of course, if you go into it thinking too deep, you probably won't like it just like you probably won't like any superhero movies you go into thinking too deep about it. But, you know, if you like a fun time at the cinema, you want to see some spandexed ass bouncing up and down on your good IMAX screen, then I recommend it. Um... Makes me wonder, I don't think the film is in 3D, and I don't really see 3D films. I always prefer IMAX 2D to any Max 3D, but his Tom Holland's comments on his costume may get, have me think of it a different way. So, anyway. um, Now, moving on to other movies, and this time we're switching to the small screen. I watched The Bobby DeBarge Story, and I was kind of mad that I missed it when it aired the first time in, um the last part of June, because I was like, how is it that I actually watch TV1 stuff, and I follow TV1 on Twitter, and I knew everything there was to know about the casting news, I knew all about the ridiculous hairstyles, you know, through the little Instagram pictures, because I follow TV1 on Instagram, but somehow I didn't get the message that the movie was actually coming on. Something wasn't right, like I'm not sure, it was TV1 trying to low-key the film or something, but... I don't know if anybody else had the experience, but it was like, all of a sudden, it was like, the movie is movie, the movie, is coming, the movie is coming, the movie is coming. And then it was like, oh, yeah, the movie was on last week. And I was like, what? But anyway, um, once I knew that it was out, I quickly on demanded it. And I have many thoughts, um, as you would expect. Um, but first of all, shout out to the good TV1 for being the only network that is consistently committed to telling the stories of our black musical greats whether it's through unsung or through tv movies you know they don't just give us a miniseries once a year and even though they built they built an entire network on black music back in the 80s and 90s um pet you know they um tv1 seems to be entirely dedicated to telling the stories of black musicians, um, and ones that actual black people fuck with, you know, not the crossover stuff, but like people that are still heard on R and B radio, the Quiet Storm, the um some of these adult R and B stations my mother listens to, stuff like that. Um and not that that sounds like I'm putting s i am putting I say sometimes I mean sometimes my mouth is too like Monica's too slick. I mean because I did not mean to, of course, I just don't particularly listen to adult R&B stations. Of course, I love most of every song that is on, that is currently playing on the adult R&B station. Like, I think Monica's Commitment is up there. Every Mary J song goes up there, the Thick of Zits, the, um, even the song... um. I bet only love, which I love, but people seem to not get into That probably charted highly. So I love everything. And so it's not not dissing the radio. It's just saying that I don't really listen to it because I don't really listen to radio. I'm just more likely to play the songs on my own. So again, just disclaimer: I'm not dissing um, adult contemporary R&B radio. I'm just saying. I mostly listen to it when I'm in the car with my mother who has serious radio, which I don't even have. So anyway, but um, that said, you know, I think, Unsung is consistently excellent, you know, one Adina Howard episode, notwithstanding, I think Unsung is, you know, generally excellent and very well done. And then, of course, TV One produced the quite fantastic Love Under New Management, the Mickey Howard story, which, while it's hard to find, I have rewatched several times, By scouring the edges of the internet, because for a while it's not, I don't even know if it's on on TV One On Demand now, but, you know, I love it so much that I'd be searching and I found me a copy, so, which I'd share, I have that on the cloud, you know, so it won't get lost, because I loved watching the movie so much, so, and that was directed by the amazing Christine Swanson. And I just think, you know, so many times we pay attention to like the Ava's and stuff that are in the press all the time. But you really need to know about Christine Swanson, who did the good um, Love Under New Management. She's a graduate of the prestigious NYU film program. Spike Lee was one of her directing professors now. And CNN once named her as one of the most promising directors to come from NYU's graduate film program since the Spike Lee's, the Martin Scorsese's, the Oliver Stone's and the Angles, you know, recall the earlier Brokeback Mountain reference. I try to be thematic here at Craig's Pop Life, um, despite what some people say. But anyway, um, you should definitely familiarize yourself with her work. And I'm going to post her director's reel on the Craig's Pop Life website. You know, a director's wheel is co- wheel. A director's, well, I guess it is round, but if it's an old film reel. But anyway, um, a director's reel is like a director's resume. That's what they send out to get jobs and stuff like that. So I'm going to post that on the Craig's Pop Life website. Um, and I think she's really the main reason why. The Mickey Howard story turned out so great and why it's just so well-crafted, so well-acted, so well-lit, so well-everythinged. She was not, however, behind the Barbie DeBarge story. That task went to radio DJ Russ Parr, who I used to listen to um, every morning in D.C. back in the 90s. And I remember even back then, um, he was talking about producing and making his own movies. So, of course, I'm all about Black entrepreneurial entertainment endeavors. And I'm all about Black creatives breaking out of the boxes that the industry tries to put us in, So I'm all for the DJ turned director narrative. I'm all for that narrative in theory. Um, now, I was so excited to see the movie that I watched, you know, once I knew it was out, that I just watched it immediately. I didn't look at any reviews. I didn't, um, you know, look at any Twitter co- commentary. It was just like, what? That came on? And then I just sat down with my on-demand and, you know, an hour and 20-something minutes just passed by. Um, And this is my initial reaction as I started to watch, and that is that I really liked it. And I thought the story of a man who brought his whole family into the industry, only to be later overshadowed by them, I thought that was a very compelling narrative. I was into it, and all the family drama they had with the white father, and the black church loving um, mother, and all that, and the... Stuff I was, I was, well, I was liking it, you know what I mean. I was thoroughly engaged from a dramatic perspective, you know. Um, so I was really willing to overlook, um, well, not overlook, but like look past all of the following, um, like the hair, the hair, the hair, the hair. I mean. The wigs were more insane than a finale episode of RuPaul's Drag Race All-Stars. I mean, it was just not right. Like, it looked like they just passed through a wig shop. You know, like, whatever wig sh- shop in L.A. somewhere. And just was picking up what was off the rack. Like, no custom. What- oh, hey, this looks like way Bobby. Uh, like Al used to wear his hair kind of like this okay and we'll take a, you know you know it, it reminded me of those um you know how on Project Runway they get a challenge but they only get like a hundred something dollars and then have to go through what's the name of that um fabric store whatever the fabric store is that they go to they have to go through there and just take get what they can get in a particular time for a particular do- dollar amount it seemed like the wig designer of this movie did that it was like okay you got you know $500, just go in this wig store and you got to be out in 45 minutes and what you get is what you get and we're going to use what you get. I mean, it really did feel um kind of that random, but I was looking past that because I was into the drama. I was, I was into it, you know, not everything can be perfect. I understand it wasn't on the biggest budget in the world. I like black stories being told on the screen. I understand we don't always have them white budgets. Um, So like, I wasn't focused on that. I saw it. But I wasn't focused on it. Um, You know, and I'm a man of optimism. I was thinking that maybe Robert F. Smith, you know, the man who paid the black billionaire who paid off the student loans for the Morehouse, Morehouse class of 2019. I thought maybe he would chip in at some later point to digitally enhance the film. Like we could get some CGI to simulate natural curl patterns and natural curl movements and stuff like that. You know, stuff could be done. There could be a re, re, a remastered, recurled edition, remixed, recurled. You know, the Bobby Bar Store. So, I, like I said, I, I tried to see things in a positive and um. I was looking past that, you know. And I also didn't ask why a hotel phone ain't have no cord to it. You know, I I was focused on, on the conversation that was being had, not the fact that the phone ain't have no cord, you know, to even be having the conversation. But like I said, I wasn't focused on that. I didn't really focus on why Jermaine Jackson looked Hawaiian for some reason. I was like, oh, that's interesting. um, You know, but... I'm going to focus on what Jermaine Jackson is saying to his wife, Hazel, who's talking to her daddy, Barry Gordy, who is played by Big Boy, who I thought did a pretty good job. So I'm like, OK, I'm not going to ask about this man's, um, you know, ethnic whatever's that might not match the reality. I'm going to keep it pushing. Um, I didn't even mind that the Soul Train ain't have no train. You know, I mean, I just thought, okay, well, shit. Maybe the train broke down during a previous episode and it was in the shop for repairs. So, you know, whatever. I'm just focused on the Bard singing this song. And, and I'm not going to worry about the fact that there ain't no Soul Train on the backdrop of Soul Train. You know, at least we got a Don Cornelius. We did get a Don Cornelius. So... You know, you can't have everything in life. Part of life is making peace with what you got, you know. Um, And part of the reason that this stuff didn't really bother me that much is that contrary to what I later learned that a lot of folks were talking about on Twitter, I really thought the acting was generally very strong. You know, so I, I think a lot of people were reacting to the wigs and like maybe other people weren't as generous to look past the wigs to the face that was doing the acting. Um, But I I actually thought the acting was pretty good. I liked Rashawn um, Fagan, I believe is how you pronounce his name, is Bobby DeBarge. And that actor, he's actually been in a couple episodes of Insecure, so obviously Issa ain't fucking with somebody who can't act. So you can't say the boy can't act, because he's done shit, you know what I mean? Um, And I liked Ethan McDowell as his abusive white father. You know, he was legit abusive and scary um i really liked adrian marcel as james debard i thought he was really strong and there was a a lot about the relationship between bobby debard and his younger brother james so i thought that he really played that off well he had a, i'm not even gonna get into his wig um with the ponytails and, but anyway let me just take a deep breath and move past the image um and I thought a lot of. I like Lloyd as Switch founder Gregory um, Williams. Um, like I said, Big Boy I thought was good as Barry Gordy. Um, Marie Burke as Bunny DeBarge. I thought she was really good, and her hair looked the best because I I think it was natural. I think it was just her hair. Um, I even really liked Leah Monet as Latoya Jackson, who um, Bobby dated. I thought she did a good job, and I mean, as and she was one of the few people. In the film, like as soon as she shoot, well, maybe it's because I knew that um, Bobby and Latoya dated, but as soon as she showed up on screen, I was like, "Oh, that's Latoya." I ain't feel like that with everybody in the movie, but like as soon as she showed, I was like, "Oh, that she's supposed to be Latoya, and she really does kind of look like Latoya." So I thought that was good, and I thought I liked the way she played um, Latoya too. Now, um, Tyler K. Whitley as Janet. Is a whole nother story, and not because of the acting. I would have to say that was a case where I was distracted by the per the way the look of the person and the wig of the person and couldn't really get into the performance because she ain't looked nothing like a Jackson to me. Okay, she ain't even looked like somebody who would be listed as a distant relation on Janet's Ancestry.com. I mean. To me, they've been better off putting Stevie J in one of them bad wigs and casting him as Janet. At least he's blood. You know what I mean? So, but then I did a little, you know, got a little internet, did a little research. And it turns out that Tyler K. Whitley is the niece of comedian Kim Whitley. I think some people who have watched Kim Whitley's um, reality show, I think it was on OWN, may have already known that. But it was news to me because I didn't watch it. Um... And Kim Whitley has co-produced films in the past with Russ Parr. So in terms of her casting in the movie, I'm not saying, but I'm saying, okay. Um, But what really started to bother me in real time as I was watching, like I said, I was enjoying it. But as I was watching, when we got toward the confusion of the film, that's a good thing. I was going to say conclusion, but that was a real subliminal because I would say the the confusing conclusion of the film. Because we know that Bobby was on drugs. That was the whole part of the narrative of the film. In fact, one of the best scenes was when um, James wanted to Bobby wanted to talk to James about something serious and James was like he I don't want to talk to you because you're high cuz you're on drugs and Bobby was like I'm always on drugs <laughs> so I thought that, that was a good um that was a really good moment because it spoke to a certain truth um but I feel like in the film we don't really know how or if he ever entirely got off of drugs I mean it just was kind of left hanging and I feel to gloss over something that's so important in a narrative about somebody who struggled with drugs. And face it, many, many people, if not the majority of the family, um, struggle with drugs and did time for selling drugs, doing drugs, trafficking drugs, all sorts of stuff with drugs. So I kind of felt it was disrespectful to people who've gone through that struggle just to gloss over something that is so serious. And... um The movie ended, I'm not going to give away the ending, ending, even though if you know the Debarred story, you already know the ending. But um, just it ended in that way that y'all know I don't like, based upon my previous discussion of the Teddy Pendergrass documentary. And that's when these documentaries or biopics end with the assumption that, no matter what tragedy, you know, has befallen the star or or no matter how many years have passed since their heyday or no matter how much the sound of music has changed since they was on the charts, that the artist was somehow on the verge of a great comeback before something happened to them. And it's kind of like, oh, if only they'd been able to release to properly release that one great song or that one great album, it would have changed everything and things have been different. As anyone who follows music, as anyone who follows life, knows that that is not always or mostly true. I mean, the best talents we have now that are working their ass off struggle with remaining commercially relevant in a youth-dominated industry. Mariah Carey, who's at the top of her vocal game, writing game, she struggles to be relevant, and, you know, Caution didn't do, I think, what it could have, what it should have done. I mean, think of somebody like Shakira. Khan, think of Pat LaBelle, think of the people who are out here, think about Aretha, and you know, when she was here with us and making albums. I mean, the greatest talents that we've, the world has ever seen struggle to remain commercially relevant, so it's just is a, such a meant to me that a lot of that is such a bio musical biopic and um documentary cliche that it's always like if not for insert whatever tragedy or something like that somebody would have been bigger than ever and they would have ruled the industry and all that kind of stuff because that's just that's bullshit and I mean I, it's I think it would be truer to artistic and ultimately the human experience to just show how someone either makes peace with or continues to struggle with the reality of what is and what happened to them. And this is the case. This is the situation that you're living with that you know, you may be the most talented person in the world, but you don't got the sound that's hot right now, but you don't got the look that's hot right now and you're of a certain age so you ain't never gonna have that look because it's the youth look. So and it's a youth sound. And, you know, people aren't going to all of a sudden start listening to, I mean, probably, you know, it can't make the comparison, but it's like, you know, you can't just, you can't expect somebody just all of a sudden to compete with a little Nas X or something like that. I mean, it's just not, um, it's not reasonable it's not realistic but that does not take away from the talent of the person and yes you could say that the person's still had talent but times had changed or whatever I just think that's so much more um that would just be so much more compelling to me because I think it's what we all struggle with right that's true human drama we struggle with just making peace with our everyday circumstances making peace we we try sometimes we hit one out of the park Sometimes we continue to hit them out of the park. Sometimes we just get, get that one good hit and we have to live with life of, you know, not having the hit and this value of life in everything. And we have to find that purpose. Or we escape from the reality of life through chemicals or whatever. Or we just mad and we just fighting. Why can't I be this? Why not I on the charts? Why is Lil Nas X on the charts, but I can sing? But, well, you know, I think there are a lot of different... Ways that you can approach just making peace with the reality of life. And all of those things, I think you can find compelling drama in that could be conveyed on the screen, big or small, on a bio, in a biopic or in a documentary. But so often, people just fall on that cliche like, oh, they would have just been bigger than ever. You know, if only this. Ha-, and I just hate that. So that was my main issue after initially watching it. But then the more that I thought about it, the more I started to feel a way about the whole film. Because, you know, like, just little things. Like, okay, LaToya was in it, and there's a lot about the romance with between Bobby and LaToya. But it's never mentioned that one of Switch's biggest hits, I Call Your Name, was written with LaToya in mind. Like, that's significant especially significant if the song's in the damn movie, and if you're trying to tell the Bobby DeBarge story in a way that makes people open themselves up to the music and understand sort of the larger context of the music, then, yeah, it makes a damn difference if one of his biggest songs was written by a member of one of the most famous musical families. I mean, that shit is relevant. And, I mean, it could have been one line. I mean, he could have just said to her, Baby, did you like that song I wrote about you? That's all we needed. That's all we and people would have gone. Oh man, he wrote uh, "I Call Your Name" about Latoya Jackson, or they'd be, they'd be like, "Oh man, I forgot that he wrote that song about Latoya Jackson." Either way, that's the kind. Of, that's one of those like aha moments that you want in a biopic. And I thought that it was just kind of um lazy, or just some. I don't even know the word. Just I can't say irresponsible because it's not that deep, but it's just you know, like, it doesn't make no sense why you wouldn't put that in it because that's another thing that you could put in to help us understand and get a window into understanding Bobby's life and his connections to the greater music industry and everything at the time. So, you know, that bugged me. And another thing that really bugged me um, is that, okay, so it was ostensibly the Bobby DeBarge story, but a lot of it, dealt with a lot of the other members in fact i thought it did such a good job of that that i while i was watching it despite the wigs i thought you know damn this could have been a whole mini series. because i really because we know l went through some shit and all this kind of stuff and we know james went through some shit and all these people went through some shit i sit down for many you know an hour and a half I'd, I'd sit for an hour and a half on multiple nights to see that whole play out and I would do it with the cast that was in the film. Maybe a different director, maybe a different wig person. But you know, I mean I was I seriously thought they set that up very well. But it then it downplayed um Bobby's role in the success of the barge itself. Cause like it makes clear that Bobby used his success with Switch to bring his brothers and sisters out to LA and he used that you know the power that he had because switch was hot at the time to get them seen by Motown and signed by Motown. But the film largely stopped at that and after that it's kind of him walking around mad that they're getting more play than he is. But as you can see, um if you look at the credits, especially if you're on you've got title, title has this amazing new feature where you can just push on somebody's name and you get all of their credits and all the songs they contributed to. And this goes from everybody, from artists to songwriters to producers and remixers. So that's just another, this is a new feature on Title. another reason I'm loving Title. But you can see Bobby actually produced some of DeBarge's greatest and most enduring hits. I mean, Bobby produced Stay With Me. Where would hip hop even be without Stay With Me? Um, he produced Love Me in a Special Way, you know, just beautiful song. I once had the honor, uh, the opportunity, it was an honor, um, of hearing Shaka Khan sing a line from the song when she was thanking Elder Barge, who was opening for her um, at the concert I was at. And this was during his Warner Brothers years. And just, you know, another sidebar if you're looking for some great, deep listening, please check out Elder Barge's. Warner Brothers albums, two of the albums, and they're so great. In the Storm, um, that features an early appearance by Shantae Moore on the song You Know What I Like. I'll post a video on the website. And then he followed that up with the pretty much flawless um, album, Heart, Mind, and Soul, which features several songs written and produced by Babyface. Um, so, again, check that out. But then lastly, in addition to Love Me in a Special Way, Bobby Produced um, time will reveal. And you know, when I found that out, the first thing I was thinking was hopefully he wasn't the one who made the tragic decision to fade the song as else was singing the beautiful line. So let your little heart lay down, my darling. I mean, if you were an r and b fan of my generation, you turned the volume up every time it got to that part of the song. Fortunately, now, um, there's a long version where you can actually hear the entire line. And it's available on all the streaming sites for all my Time Will Reveal people and all my people that know that last little line is fading out when you really want to hear Elle singing. Um, It's on all the streaming sites on the collection Time Will Reveal, the complete Motown albums. So, you know, just that long version, that extra just being able to hear the whole line, I feel that goes a long way toward writing an ongoing, a long-standing Black music injustice. But anyway, the point is, he was a producer behind these big hits, and it really doesn't make it seem like Bobby had much of a hand in the music of DeBarge After just initially getting them signed, and you know, there's a scene. Oh, let's go into the studio and sing something. You know, one of those things. But you get to, but then right after that, you have a scene of Bobby not being able to um, handle himself in the studio because of the drugs. So you just assume that he wasn't really logging in no studio time. You certainly didn't get the impression that he was working with his brothers and sisters on some of these songs that are R&B classics to this day. So. That was an issue. And so, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, the question is, is it worth watching? Is the Bobby DeBarge story worth watching? And I'd have to say yes. I mean, the acting is good to me. And um, it, it, like I said, if you look past the wigs or look under the wigs where the face is, you know, <laughs> or you just don't think the wigs is. Although there's one scene, I'm sorry, like, it's one scene supposed to be like a moving um, scene in a hospital, and one of the br- brothers, I think maybe it's supposed to be Chico, has this high top fade that is like out of Kid and Play, that's like out of um, the black guy from um, Hey Arnold. And it's just like, how you gonna? I can't be serious and get into the motion of a film if I'm looking at this outrageous high top. Like, it would, it was like, it wasn't even like a high top that most people had, because most people could not exist through daily life. Most people couldn't even walk through doors and just do <laughs> do do regular life shit with a high top fade that high. And I'm supposed to stay, <laughs> you know, and I'm supposed to be in the emotional situation. I'm like, watch your hair so damn high? But anyway, that's just one scene. And like I said, I can look beyond it. But I would, again, I would say yes, that it even imperfectly told, the Bobby DeBarge story is an important story in the history of black music, and for that part, I would say it's it's worth watching. Um, that said, Lifetime better not mess up the cl- upcoming Clark Sisters biopic like this, because I want that to be right. I'm not. Lo- I mean, the Clark Sisters are too important. I'm not looking past wigs. I'm not, you know, giving people. What I, I mean, it looks like at least what Lifetime, those clips, everybody can sing. So that, I mean, that would have been an important um, thing that could really send things off the rails. But everyone that's playing one of them Clark sisters can sing. So that's, and, you know, Kiki herself is in the film playing her mother. So that's cool. But there's every other indication that the movie will be great because guess who it is being directed by? Christine Swanson, the director behind the Mickey Howard story that I was talking about early earlier. So see how I bring stuff around and somebody just one, but somebody had was complaining to me that all I do is random is ramble randomly. I was like, No ho, I may ramble, but there's purpose to my shit. Okay? I've been too black and too gay for too long not to have purpose. So like I said, I'm Follow me. I'm gonna bring y'all back around. And if I sidebar something, it's because it's something that I think is important that like to listen for you to listen, like the Elder Bars, Warner Brothers album, something like that. I think that's important. When else am I gonna mention it? So that's what I do. This is Craig's pop life. You are in the mind of Craig. This is how Craig's Minds works. I love y'all if I like I love y'all if you like it. If you don't, I'm not forcing no ear pods in your ears. So that's all I'm saying. Um, but just for everybody to know that, yes, I do ramble, but I, there is a purpose to what I'm saying. I I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to me. So I would not just be talking nonsense for nonsense sake and waste your time because that's just not the type of person I am. So, again, check out the cracks. So, obviously, I'm feeling away about something. Y'all know I... Because I've always keep it real. Y'all know when I start talking like this, it's because I'm responding to something. Specifically, my my, I'm subliminally like a motherfucker. But, you know, I'm just saying. So, all that to say, as you always know, anybody who listens to this, I love y'all. And I'm appreciative of y'all listening, whether you are day one. I especially love you if you're day one. Especially if you, like, a carryover from my other thank you so much for supporting me. And, you know, because the thing is, like, artistically, you don't have to show up for somebody in a financial way to support them. Yes, showing up somebody in a financial way is great. Buying a book, buying something like that, that's fantastic. And at a certain point, you know, a creative person can't exist without financial support. But at the same time, On a Thursday morning, I still have to get up the energy to, you know, get my little notes together, however rambly they may be, and to put on this microphone and talk this shit into the microphone for whatever number. You know, I don't do that thinking that no money is going to come out of it, although I do mention title a lot. It would be nice to get a little sponsorship for that or something like that, but I don't do that thinking about no money. I do that because... I see that people have been listening and I want to, the people that like what I do, I want to give them material. So that's why I do it. So thank you so much if you support me because that I do really do do it for you. And it really does give me the energy. I feel the energy to want to go on and do this another week and to create other stuff, you know, and and that's um. so thank you. Now, I was rambling, because I don't really even know why I went down on that route, all that to say. But, obviously, to my long-time listeners, you know when something bothering me, it creeps in <laughs> to my stuff. So, it is what it is. But, um, like I said, all my links are going to be on um, the Craig's Pop Life site. Um, and feel free to, like, drop me... A question or comment or something on my Craig's Pop Life Twitter or at my email, craig's pop life at gmail.com. And also, if you do like the show, Please help me out and rate it on iTunes. Like I've said before, you don't have to write a damn thing. All you need to do is press the number of stars and keep it pushing. And I really appreciate it because it helps a lot with search search results. Or if you or and and or if you could share the podcast with a friend, I'd also really appreciate it. And until next time, y'all, like I said, for the whole mood of it, until next time, I really hope y'all believe in what whatever thing you want to do whatever it is that you've been thinking about doing i really hope you are encouraged to go ahead and do that no matter what the naysayers are going to say and know that when you do it you might it, what you do might be inviting naysayers cuz there are always people that they feel like their purpose is to hate on stuff Um, but do it anyway. Like I said, you can get new friends. You can get new followers. You can't always get a new dream. So go ahead and do what it is that you feel in your heart is for you to do. And like, until next time, be cool, be kind, be creative. And in the words of my fave, be your damn self. (laughs) All right, y'all. Love y'all always.